welcome to Ask Deb About Business. I am Ron Gaioso, co-host. We're broadcasting via Futures Television, the home of the future on television. If you're listening to the show via podcast or watching us on TV, you too can be part of the conversation. Just visit our YouTube channel, and that is IMCI Magazine, where we continue to chat about the topic of the day. You can also access this information on our website, and that is www.futurestelevision.com. So don't be shy. Today, our topic is effective innovation strategies for SMBs. For many of us, innovation and creativity are often used synonymously, but they're not the same. For an idea to be innovative, it must also be useful. Creative ideas uh, don't always lead to innovations because they don't necessarily produce viable solutions to problems. And innovations don't have to be major breakthroughs in technology or new business models. They can be as simple as upgrades to a company's customer service or features added to an existing product. Today, we're discussing the importance of innovation, how it allows adaptability, how it fosters growth, and how it separates businesses from their competition. But before you can innovate, you have to clarify the problem, generate ideas to solve that problem by conducting research, develop potential solutions, and implement those solutions. You know, there is a lot to talk about on this topic, but worry no more. Now, you have someone to talk to. But words, I have to say a few words about the show. This show, STAB About Business, is broadcast live from Butterfield Studio in Chicago Land to the world. The talk show is broadcast every other Thursday at 11 a.m. Central Time, where I join Deb Deeds to discuss a variety of business topics. No matter what your venture is, you will certainly have questions. So worry no more. Now you have someone to talk to. Let me say a few words about Deb Deb has a long and distinguished career as a coach, mentor, and through her awesome training programs at SMB Digital Education, she has enabled many entrepreneurs to follow their dreams. And that's what I like about her. It's her ability to deliver practical advice to help you solve real problems. Have a business question? Well, let's ask Deb. Without further ado, let's welcome Deb Dietz to the show. Hi, Deb. How are you? Hi, Ron. Great to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to see you in the beautiful studios. Butterfield how... Studio. Butterfield well, Studios. And uh, happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I wanted to also just uh, welcome our audience. Uh, we're happy that you're with us today. Our show focuses on emerging trends, challenges, and opportunities facing small to mid-market businesses. And uh, we invite subject matter experts on our show uh, who uh, help us understand uh, those emerging trends and issues and opportunities. And I. My promise to you is that by the end of our time together today, you will have at least one key takeaway that you can implement within your own business. 
and I'm delighted that today our special guest is Hector Barisi. Hector has a great uh, background working with multinational corporations and small to mid-market businesses, helping them innovate, helping them you know, develop new products, helping them uh, improve their operational efficiencies, innovate through the use of technology, and we're delighted to have him with us today. How wonderful. So let's see a few words um, about Hector. Oh, righty. So Hector Varese is a two-time award-winning innovation expert who helps industrial companies create and commercialize breakthrough products, software, and services worldwide. Prior to his career as an expert and consultant, Hector held executive positions with prestigious blue-chip companies like GE, IDEX, Honeywell, and Danaher for more than 15 years. And has transformed global organizations across the world to create effective and collaborative teams that consistently exceed their business targets. Today, Hector offers a wide range of programs and services, from individual consulting and coaching to workshops, seminars, and keynote speeches. He helps CEOs, product development executives, and teams to apply the latest technologies like IoT, and artificial intelligence and develop innovative and differentiated products. His proven processes and systems generate rapid product demand and sales. With an MBA and certifications in Six Sigma and the Toyota system, Hector applies lean enterprise techniques to maximize effectiveness and cost. Hector has lived in Germany, France, Belgium, Italy, Spain and Argentina, and is currently located in the US in Chicago, Illinois. He speaks and helps clients in English, Spanish, French, Italian, and Portuguese. Well, without uh, further ado, let's welcome Hector to the show. Hello, Hector, how are you? Hello, Ram. How are you? And hello, Dev. Hey, good to see you, Hector. I'm, I'm so happy that you're with us today. Um, I, I love the conversation we're going to have um, because you and I have talked about innovation and right. the criticality of businesses and their ability to innovate, create new value for their customers, improve their operational processes. Um, so, and I think we should start there. You know, some companies are very good at innovating, others not so much. What is the common denominator of those that are innovating and do it well? What is it about those companies that yeah. kind of sets them apart? Yeah, exactly. First of all, thank you again for having thank me here today. It's a real pleasure to uh, share some of my humble experience um, for my career. And that's a <clears throat> kind of make or break question that you're asking me, right? Why some companies do succeed and some fail? And um, I always talk about innovation as um, a combination of a few things, right? That that help some companies that realize those things really uh, succeed. And obviously, for you to be a successful innovative company, you need to understand, first of all, what are the needs out there? No matter what kind of industry, business to business, consumer goods, electric cars, cell phones, or industrial automation, you need to understand what are the key unresolved issues out there of your customers. If, if you fail to understand that, you are already in the, in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Assuming that you understand those, 
those uh, needs, those problems that your competitors cannot resolve or the existing solutions cannot resolve, then you have your path to figuring out what to do. The second element is you need to have a process, a system, to, to use that information and transform it into something that ultimately will yield we'll innova that problem. innovative right. solutions to right. resolve the problem. Right. So you need to understand the problem. Then you need the process and a system to put this information through. And third, you have to have a team of people that use that, all that information that apply the process and ultimately produce something that is different from the past. You really need to move the needle. You need to create value from this innovation in order to succeed. Um, and some people believe that by just you know, adding buzzwords like IoT plus artificial intelligence plus ML, machine learning, et cetera, they are going to innovate. And many of these companies fail because they missed the customer problems, they process this information in, in a probably in not the most effective way, and then the team didn't have the, uh, the right abilities to productize that, right? right. And in a lot of my work really goes into helping companies, number one, do the right, call it voice of the customer, for example, to, to get deep into the unresolved problems, ask the right questions, understand the outcomes that the customers are failing to accomplish. Second is really put that into a format that the engineers can understand, because one of the problems is that <coughs> the customers speak one language. The engineers that develop the product speak to a different language. So let, let me explain that. If you speak to the customer, again, doesn't matter if it is business to business or business to consumers, they will tell you their problem in their words, meaning my company cannot produce enough product, or my supply chain has a problem, or the quality is bad, or my cost is too high. This is the customer's language. And then you go, and the engineers, right, they want to develop a product, and they say, I hear the customer, but this is like Chinese to me. I don't know what I mean by their cost is too high. I have to develop a product for them, a machine, a sensor, a piece of software. How do I understand that customer problems in engineering terms? So there has to be a process to translate customer problems language into engineering language so that you can successfully productize something that ultimately goes back. And then there's another trick, which is you need to translate this the story, the value of this product, again back into the customer language so that they understand it. And the best way to do that is to kind of use the same words that your customers told you six months before in the voice of the customer when you put together your sales strategy, right? But again, there is this circle of customer problems, turning that into something that can be productized, give it to the engineers, so they understand in a language that they can understand, make this product, then launch it again. The companies that manage that, that master process, that, right. that process, that have the process, the people, and the ability to hear, to listen, those are the ones that succeed. They're the ones that just combine buzzwords of technology into something that they believe is, is innovation. These are the ones who, who You know, fail. it's interesting, because you know, when I'm, I'm hearing you say that, and, I, and I'm thinking, probably one of the most critical success factors here in your ability to innovate 
is by is, is by understanding those needs and those dynamics in the marketplace and within your customer or client base. So leveraging business intelligence so that you have an understanding of what those issues and challenges are, number one. And I think, you know, at least in my in my experience, I think where a lot of uh, organizations are unable to innovate successfully is they're not they're not they're looking I call it kind of within the four walls of their business the internal data points they're not necessarily looking externally or the external force at the external forces that are facing their business what are their competitors doing how are their competitors adding value to their customers what are those business challenges issues and opportunities and then how can you as a supplier or a vendor capitalize on those needs or those challenges or those pain points and so to me you know I think you know probably the starting point for most businesses you know and I, I want your feedback on this is is that the good is that the right place to start is by embarking on you know business intelligence initiatives you know market research competitive analysis you know talking to your customers um, as a starting point to even be able to identify what some new innovative products or services could be and then ultimately you have to have the process placed in order to implement and execute but as a starting point doing the research there is no doubt. You always need you need to go from the 10,000 feet down to the, right. the 10 feet, and um, some companies are much, I would say, effective at understanding those dynamics out there on the market, okay. and uh, and then from there, kind of targets. You, you, I mean, you cannot develop a product that satisfies everybody on the right. market. So, but you have to identify trends. And for example. If you are in the business of let's say, enterprise manufacturing software, right, which is called EMP, um, everybody knows today that companies are trying to become more effective manufacturing in stock management, cost reduction. But if you are smart right now and you use that business intelligence, you would easy, easily realize that supply chain issues are monumental today because Hey, we have wars, we have viruses right. around, we have all sorts of earthquakes and floodings, and we, no matter again if it is the chips for your Tesla or your Ford Bronco or for your uh, Samsung um, uh, um, telephone, we know that there is chip shortage out there. Uh, sheet metal for machine manufacturing is, is really uh, another problem. So if you are in that kind of business, you will certainly start, I would start, uh, doing my voice of the customer with customers around supply chain issues. Mm -hmm. But you have already a very strong starting point. 90% of the customers that you will ask, do you have a problem with supply chain, will say yes. Now, uh, some companies have been doing that very effectively. There is a startup called Interos. And they understood that, that intelligence already several years ago and uh, today they are like a one billion dollar organization. Why? Because what their product does, and this is a very creative way again of using technology and artificial intelligence, they monitor hundreds of thousands of companies around the world and uh, they monitor events, wars, earthquakes, floods, uh, new viruses, now monkeypox is emerging, right? So. The, the product they offer to their customers is predictive supply chain. Okay. And, uh, and they have thousands of customers 
who say, okay, can you predict six months from now, you know, if my chip is gonna be available, when is gonna be available, is it gonna be a shortage? And they use artificial intelligence in the smartest possible way. Right. They gather all that data and then they correlate it and then contextualize it and they say, well, based on what's going on out there in the world, you know, the world, again, all, this is what you should be doing. You should be stocking all these products, there's gonna be a shortage here. And I think that's a fantastic way to start with some business intelligence mm -hmm. around what's going on out there on the market, some key issues, and then bringing it down to something very specific, which is in this case supply management and developing the most effective solution, which is truly innovative. And uh, they, as far as I know, they have very little competition, so which is another point of innovation. Innovation is not just about putting great product out there that everybody can copy is how can you differentiate and, and keep the differentiation long right, enough to grow. Right, because you're not the only one grow. who's looking at those trends and exactly. gathering this intelligence, right? But your ability to take that in and looking at those external forces that facing, you know, this issue, um, you're, you know, looking at maybe you're in an industry that's government regulated or, you know, what's going on in the economy, supply chain. So you're, you really need to kind of take an inventory of all these external factors determine what a viable solution is, you know, so that's step one, then step two is going through the process of development and making and, and differentiating your solution versus someone else's. So, you know, to me, that, that process of gathering the information, analyzing the information, developing the solution, making sure that just because you have a great idea, not all ideas are created equal, right? So there's no shortage of ideas out there to innovate but then how do you prioritize, you know, some versus others, um, you know, and, and then how do you actually implement and execute? Because I would think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in your experience, for those companies that don't innovate well, um, you know, their ability, maybe their great, you know, ability to generate the idea and put a plan together, but they're falling down, their shortfalls in the ability to implement or get team alignment, allocate their resources effectively so that they can execute and ultimately have the impact that they're looking for. So, you know, is that kind of another, you know, critical success factor is you, you know, you have great ideas serving a need in the marketplace or within your client or customer base, but then your ability to actually develop the solution, implement it, differentiate it, make sure it's relevant um, and that there's economic value. You know, that to me, if you did all that, if, you know, very well, those are the ones that do, that succeed. That succeed. Right? And that's a, that's a situation that has uh, caught by surprise many, what I would characterize, brick and mortar companies, mm -hmm. where they have to transform themselves to embrace innovation in a different way. Right. Companies that were used to innovating around, we're gonna put a new pump here, a new compressor, or a new valve, or a new chassis, mm -hmm. and now they have to innovate through digital transformation, right? So one of the companies I helped uh, with was exactly in that situation where they had no engineering uh, talent to develop all the software side. They were developing a, a smart machinery with IoT connectivity and predictive maintenance, and they had electrical engineers and they had mechanical engineers, but they didn't have any data scientists. They didn't have really software engineers, and um, they were really struggling. So when I jumped in, um, so we really had to get really hands-on very quickly at transforming that that organization and bring the right talent, mm -hmm. uh, the right experience. 
we have to use some external uh, UX, user experience, and CX customer experience companies to help them because the software was it was not that that I would say that experience that you as a user would enjoy using those uh, those applications, those right. software, and uh, it's critical today not to forget the user experience. The user experience. It's another make or break when, you know, what makes great companies? Understanding how the users right. use. So what you're saying, so when you're putting together, I'll just say the business requirements for a new initiative like this, you have to have that lens of, of the customer experience in mind to making sure that, you know, it's not, you know, it's just not the engineers in a room developing a solution. It's how the, how the customer, the end user is going to you know, utilize that if it's a piece of software and what does that experience need to be and putting that, that perspective into the business requirements that you then are maybe handing over to your development team um, is another uh, critical success factor. It, it, it is uh, and, and we need to get used to testing and iterations you know, um, and feedback, right? And then going exactly. back out to your customers. Feedback, iteration based on the feedback right. with, the, with, the, with the users. Right. Because some companies rush out to, oh. First you know, to market, right. My president wants me to launch this product, so right. I'm going to launch it, right? So here it is. And how many failure products do we have out there on the market, right? right. And when you go back, there's a lot that has to do with the user experience. Either it was not understood, or the customer didn't like what it looked like, uh, difficult to, to remember, to use, to memorize. It was not intuitive. I don't want to use the user manual. So all of that has to be tested. And companies that are in the innovation sometimes, especially the ones that come with true breakthrough products, mm -hmm. they do have to do some level of testing because if it is something that never existed before, you don't have a true benchmark. Yeah, Hector, I have a, a question. I'd like to remain on this point a little bit longer. So uh, you mentioned in your reinforcing the issue of, you know, the voice of the customer, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the engineering, so we don't speak the, the same same language. So yeah. what are some of the barriers that you see? So why is it that there is that communication link is somewhat broken? We have we know what the voice of the customer is, yes. but the engineers want to go do something else. So in your perspective, what are some of the, you know, the failures or, you know, what are some of the, the barriers that we have to take down in order for that communication to take yeah. place? Yeah. But I, I'm very glad because that was kind of a missing link that I wanted to touch, touch today is, there is, first of all, there's nothing wrong. The customers speak their customer language, and engineers speak their engineering language because they have to use that those specifications, those requirements to develop the product. And this is where marketing, product marketing mm -hmm. comes in and sales comes in because they bridge they are the ones, the sort of the translate or whatever goes lost in translation between the two worlds, the customers and the engineers. This is where the, a true effective product marketing organization mm -hmm. demonstrates their effectiveness. And I, you know, I led a lot of product marketing organizations in many countries. And uh, I had to spend a lot of time making sure that my team, the product managers, were able to execute this voice of the customer so effectively with the with the, uh, with the customers, and we brought engineers into the meetings. So we would be in front of a major, let's say, oil and gas company or power generation, food and, food and beverage, uh, for the voice of the customer and our interview, and it was me, it was the product manager, and it was one or two engineers. And the engineers were 
astonished to hear, you know, that those words that they said, man. It's a different language, right? <laughs> it's, it's a different language. But that was very productive. So bringing the engineers to the field, let them then speak with the customers is one way to do it. But let me say again, the languages are different right. for a good reason, but marketing product management has that particular specific role mm -hmm. to build the bridge and go back and forth and validate. So the, having those people, having kind of a cross-functional representation on maybe your development team would be another best practice, right? That's another best practice. So you've got people maybe, you're going through, you know, this, this uh, you've got all these ideas to innovate. Um, you've got to go through a kind of a vetting process of, of what, how you're going to prioritize those, those ideas, right? But then bringing in the, the appropriate resources across the organization who are going to be able to provide input and a different point of view, right? Um, and so that, because what you're ultimately looking for is alignment across that team, right? Alignment. Yeah. Um, couple, couple more comments. First of all, it's not that easy, in my experience, to take an engineer to the field. Why? Because the VP of engineering is saying, okay, I have allocated hundreds of hours or whatever number mm -hmm. of hours of this person to this project. Right. Now he's going to be out in the field for one or two weeks doing voice of the customer interviews. Number one, who is going to pay for the hours? Number two, <laughs> this is going to affect the development of such and such project. How is that going to work? So, I mean, what I'm suggesting here is one way to do it let me tell you, it's not that, that easy to do. Second, um, one voice of the customer, again, doesn't define the product. You need to be able to, to speak to a number of key, key accounts, uh, key uh, stakeholders mm -hmm. out there on the market, customers. And then you need to be able to sort through the requirements. Not everybody scores the same things with the same the value. Same right. So it's important to have a prioritization process. And most of us are used to, you know, the musts, the nice to have, the needs, the wants. Right. There has to be always a process to prioritize those, um, those requirements that the customer have. Again, this is always about outcomes that they want to accomplish. Right. Don't ask your customer how many inputs and outputs does this product have to have or how many megahertz or megabit, megabytes mm -hmm. of memory. The customer's role is not that, right? The customer's role is to tell you their, their job what they are trying to accomplish, what outcome, outcome they want to accomplish, and they are prevented from accomplishing, where you can bring your solution and right. unlock that. So what's a great way to measure innovation? How do you measure all this? Yeah, right. And um, there are some, I would say, more traditional ways which finance department uses, and there are, I think, the ways that you measure really innovation. So you can go back to the old times where um, product vitality was used, yeah, still used by many companies, right, to measure innovation, which is what percentage of you know, your sales in the last three years came from new products, new products. versus mm -hmm. old products. And you have companies like uh, 3M, uh, Dana Herr himself, who said, well, uh, my target is about 45%, or whatever the number is. And they drive their innovation machine to that. Now, what's the problem with that? That you, today when that cap, for example, the mug there, and you, you change the color and you make it beige rather than white, and now that became a new product, right? Mm -hmm. we, and it's not. Right. So you are cheating to yourself. You're pretending that you're innovating. And uh, some companies um, 
they take pride that they're very innovative because they, they can check the box. They check right? the box, right. they add a screw, they change the color, or they move the, the connector, and they, they call that a new product. And that doesn't help the company. So, right. you know, it's the an additional way to measure innovation. Well, I, to your point, you, you get what you measure, right? So if you're going to measure that, uh, but that's I, the. Again, I've been in companies where corporate wanted to see a number at the end of the quarter. and. Right. We met the number, but not necessarily through. through well, you may, you know, right? Again, you can check the box, and you check know, and, and I do, you know, strategic planning for a living, so I'm very familiar with strategic plans that have, you know, the performance measurement, you know, scorecards, and and one of those key objectives on the plan is, to your point, you know, literally, you know, number of new products. Yeah. That you know for that you know for that period of time for that a annual plan, and every you know every quarter you know they're reporting out. But at the end of the day, you know you know that's that's one measure, right? But then the real measure is what is the impact? What is the revenue? Exactly, exactly. Right. So what and what is the opportunity cost of doing this versus something else? And and so it's got to follow through in your in your business strategy and your your performance management initiatives, so that you ultimately will deliver something that. Is got the voice of the customer. That's a meaningful new, you know, new product or service development that's going to generate revenue that your customers see economic value in. Correct. And and then then and that will drive your performance. Correct. So, so you need to, to switch your measurement from being internal to external. Like you exactly. Express it very correctly. Internal to external. Because right. other companies they take pride that they have uh, 565 patents. Right. Patents is another way to internally measure innovation yeah. that again ne doesn't necessarily translate into an impact. So how do I measure truly through innovation is like you said, through the impact on the industry, through the impact um, on the market, through changing radically the way th things are done, uh, and through really true value to the customer. And true value to the customer is in general improving productivity, reducing cost, um, Helping the environment, you know, to be a cleaner, cleaner environment. Right. Uh, typically, if you are in B two B, what are the clients, the customers, or my customers feeling? You know, if I can help my customers to have themselves happy customers, this right. is where innovation comes really to play. Um, How important is it for the executive leadership to? you know, to drive this innovation process in, in Well, that's an important question because it depends. Um, let's not forget that the executive leadership is instrumental in failure of success of innovation, right? If you have, all the way from the CEO down the, down the ranks, uh, an organization which is reluctant to innovation, it's not going to be easy, right? You need right. really change agents in in the in the organization to drive that. Um, in my experience, when when the company starts seeing a decline in sales, in market share, I've seen that happening. Things change, and right. people start looking at strategic planning. How we're going to do this now differently? How we're going to innovate? Um, I have a case of a blue ocean strategy where I, I proposed one of my employers to change radically, to do what nobody had done before. We were in the, in the industrial sensor business. Um, every sensor up until there was with a cable, with a wire, like a microphone. Mm -hmm. um, and I proposed to get rid of the cables and do it wireless. At the time that wireless was taboo in the industry, it was only for cell phones and at the very beginning. And they said, you're crazy. 
we're not going to do this because nobody else is doing that. And it's probably not a good idea because if nobody else is doing it, it's probably not a good idea. Right. Not even our competitors are doing that. And I said, well, that's why it's probably a good idea. And I put together a team of 15 different people in the organization, and we did all our due diligence, the voice of the customer, mm -hmm. again, looking for all the problems that the current technology was uh, leading to. And it was all about lack of data, broken cables, fires, a lot of issues that wireless would resolve. So I put together such a compelling uh, you know, story that we were in the middle of strategic planning and saying, here it is. And still, the management was saying, no, <clears throat> we, we don't believe it. So I kept going up to the CTO, to the chief technology officer, and I sold the idea to this person. Long story short, we did the product, we launched it, we were first on the market. We became the de facto standard. This company now is making hundreds of millions of dollars after three generations of, of new products. And we got, this is where I got my award, by the way. And it was a fantastic success story, but they had to fight the management, my boss, my boss's boss. Right. So fear uh, is a real issue, a right? Fear. And so fear and change, change, the, the fear of change, right? So people, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the status quo. People are very comfortable in the status quo. Innovation requires you stepping outside of that comfort zone and embracing, you know, in many cases, maybe embracing new technology. I mean, we're living right now in a, in a you know, a digital age where 80% of all sales transactions are occurring in digital channels. So I know that you, you know, you, you a lot of your experience is in leveraging technology to innovate. So, you know, what, what words of advice would you have for, you know, small to mid-sized business owners as to how they can leverage technology uh, and have that technology uh, drive, you know, uh, growth or help them with operational efficiencies. Yeah, yeah, I think first of all, the good news is that small and medium-sized organizations are more likely to succeed because they don't have such a heavy legacy, like more large organizations the have. The legacy, right? So I think that's a good starting point. Okay. Uh, but second, you know, I an analyzed a number of. Uh, innovation projects and digital transformation projects and causes of failure and, and, and success. And number one, do, don't just do, my advice, don't just do it just for the sake of doing, doing. it. Right. Oh, we need to create an innovative product. It has to be digital. Uh, it has to have SaaS in it, or it has to have artificial intelligence. That's the wrong side. First of all, you need to understand, you know, what is the problem that you are going to address, right? right? Um, and then you have to validate that. You need to go to your customers, validate your idea, identify the unresolved problems that nobody else has been able to resolve, your competitors or the best existing options, right. because this is where you have to start. And, uh, and don't bundle, this, not, um, this is not a, like um, a sundae or, you know, or an ice cream mix that you put ice cream and bananas and, and strawberries. It's not and a Sunday, right. So and then, um, you do need to be smart enough to pick the right technologies to resolve that problem because you have now so many. You're not innovating, you know, technology just for the sake of innovating with technology, C right? Correct. It's got to I mean, be the right you solution. You don't feel obliged to right. put everything in the bag. Right. I, I, you yeah. know, AI, M, oh, again, all the buzzwords, SAS. Right. But 
start from the problem, validate the problem, pick the best technology. And this is a secret that is happening right now because I, IoT, all these this digital technologies, typically require that you work with partners. There is a partner for networking, there is a partner for AI, there is a partner for cybersecurity, there is a cyber It's for that ecosystem, hardware. right? You yeah. need to build that ecosystem. Yeah, you have to build that ecosystem around you. Need to. And okay. uh, again, whether you're small or big, doesn't matter, you still need all these companies. Why? You need because access to the expertise that you don't have internally. Yeah. You can, you need to realize, and again, put the ego apart, probably, you right. know. Right. <clears throat> All your history, this is not us kind of the thing, or we, we own the IP. Put all that around, uh, aside, and find the right partners, put together the right technology, and now build a team of engineers in-house uh, that can develop that. And then, when you tell this product ready, communicate it properly. Because again, you may have a great product, and you launch it, in the wrong way, mm -hmm. you miss the story, you, you send it to the, or you send it to the wrong customers, and your product may still fail. It could be very innovative. It could be, you could, you could, could be, be off on your messaging. You could be off on how you're positioning it in your target market. I mean, there, there are so yeah. many Again, variables, yeah. right, <clears throat> that are involved that impact success. So, you know, what I'm hearing you say is that if you are able to bring in Though you know those, I'll call them ecosystem players, kind of early into the process. You know, maybe even including your marketing people, your sales people, your engineers. You know, earlier up in the process when you're when you're vetting ideas, so and, and you're doing the due diligence, so that they're they're part of that process early on, right? So that they buy into it, and then they ultimately work together to d deliver that end solution. And then ultimately you're handing this off to your sales team, right? To move forward and then, you know, have that impact in selling it. So how, what, what are some best practices to prepare your sales team to be able to then, you know, take all this great work that's, that's been, um, you know, new product service that's been developed and hand it off to sales and let them great. go do what they do yeah. best. They are kind of the last link. They are. You know, when yeah, they are around exactly. the cycle. So how do you prepare the, the, them the to be successful? And, and again, some, well again, small, medium companies, mm -hmm. um, if they are used to selling physical products, brick and mortar products, if they are used to um, coming with a brochure and saying, okay, you know, this is my machine. the features. These are the features, this is my machine. Right. This is the, uh, the, the space that you require. This is how, and it has so many inputs and outputs. First of all, the buyers are changing. The, chi the, the buyers are evolving. The, you know, as, as the older generations are retiring and the new right. ones are coming, you need to be, everybody has to be aware. The new buyers are the Google buyers, are the iPhone, the guys that. That's right. Right? Um, and they are used to a different approach to sales. And most of the buyers would have done a lot of already online research before they call you. Uh, so the fact that they call you means that you already know quite a bit about right. about your product. So and, and um, there is a lot of work to do with the sales organizations when they have to transition from the physical to the more innovative, call it connected products. Uh, some of these products now have connectivity, mm -hmm. and they send data through through the internet about the value, right. right? That all this innovation brings. And again, oh, it has IoT connectivity, wipe it. 
everybody assumes that, I mean, that, that's not the value of the differentiation. Right. It's really... Right. It's a transformation that it can bring how to How is this business. new technology, Mr. Right. Salesperson, going to help right. me, again, improve my top line? Exactly. Improve my bottom right. line? Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm thinking that I need less training for my... How is it going to help me improve my performance right. and in the business, right? I want to, to spend less in training my, my people in using this equipment. Um, I need to reduce the, the inventory. I need to increase sales. I need to be able to connect this machine to e-commerce uh, storefront. Mm -hmm. How is, so I've been doing, and, I, and I, I don't call it anymore sales training. I call it really sales enablement yeah. because it's so different the way that you now um, prepare your sales force to address these new buyers. And some of the buyers now are the IT guys. Right. It's not anymore. Since the, your buyers are different than they Peter used to John be. Or, or, or and what they value is different. How you communicate to them is different. So to your point, you know, you have to understand kind of who your target audience is and they're yeah. not, they're, they're, uh, they're not homogeneous. You know, they're, they're, they're a you know, diverse group of end user customers and you have to be you have to be specific about how you're positioning the value, Position the value through your messaging, through your branding, positioning, all that. Um, and you have to look at that um, in its entirety because it's you know it's not a one size fits all. It, no, it's not that. and right. it's not and again going back to your point about building the team right. um, in the sales process, the IT person is the one that may be the showstopper, right? Right, it could and, end there. And they say, okay, yeah. the, the you know, cyber security or the firewall, it doesn't matter, or it doesn't, doesn't comply with whatever standards. So what are you gonna do now? Now you have to go, go back to your engineer, engineering team and tell the IT person, look, I'm gonna put you in contact with my engineering team so that you guys can clear any questions, any technology issues, any cyber security, encryption. So again, you, you have to keep this team engaged, the mm -hmm. engineering guys and the sales organization and the marketing, because now it's a different model. It's a different model it is a with different, different model. stakeholders right. on both sides. You know, it's interesting because you know there are different stakeholders, and I think you know if I were to ask you, you know, kind of who's who wears the hat of innovation in a business is you know who is what functional area is you know is driving that or accountable to that? Is it is it the sales team? Is it your, you know, marketing team? Is it your IT team? You know, who is actually wears the hat, or who should wear the hat? I'll yeah, say who that. should wear it? Yeah. And um, again, different companies assign that to different organizations. I've seen companies that are heavily on the engineering side. Okay. Other organizations are very heavily, and they have now CPOs, chief product officers, yeah. positions, yeah. and um, others have the traditional product manager um, would be a product management. And I think at the end of the day, we have realized it's, it's a combination, it a combination, right? But everybody has very clear, specific roles. Roles. That they can't miss okay. in, in, in this whole cycle. And let's not forget manufacturing, because you know, design for manufacturing is absolutely critical, yes. because you need, especially physical products, right? You need to to be easy to manufacture, they need to, to deal with supply chain problems, they need to deal with cost, mm -hmm. they need to deal with um, uh, uh, approvals and certifications. So everybody really has specific, specific role. That's why I was mentioning to Ron before that 
there's not, nothing wrong about two languages as, as long as everybody does right. what they are supposed to do. Right? Well, let me ask you this question because you know, I know you, you have a lot of experience also in product management, portfolio, portfolio management. You know, and we're dealing with, you know, in my world, dealing with working with small to mid-market businesses, oftentimes those businesses don't have large operating budgets, right? So their ability to fund innovation is challenging. So they have to go through this process of looking where they're currently spending, current looking at, you know, their current portfolio, products and services, looking at the investment that they're making there, how are they aligning their human resources, their financial resources, but they have to do some work before you can even they can even innovate. They have to go through a, a portfolio management process to find out where they should be curbing investment with existing products and services in order to enable the funding for innovation. So you know, and, and you know, and I do work like this uh, with clients, and that's always a challenge, especially for smaller businesses. Um, you know, they don't have robust budgets. And so mm -hmm. looking at, you know, so any, any, what thoughts or recommendations would you make for those who are looking, who want to in, innovate, who believe that they have a potential solution or an idea for a, a solution that could have a positive impact, but how do they get, how do they, how are they able to fund that? Um, and what are some, uh, some ideas for how they may be able to do that when they don't have, you know, big budgets? Yep, yep. And a couple of ideas there. First of all, product life cycle management, product road mapping, product management are absolutely critical to any company. Again, whether they're small, medium, or large, they, you cannot escape you know, the need to have a very robust product life cycle management. And going to your question, especially connected to your strategic planning. Right. If you are lucky, you have a strategic plan, which is not just a bunch of PowerPoint slides, which is something which is executable, right. and it's really looking into where the company wants to grow. Right. And if you're lucky, that company will give you some priorities as far as what your products will look like, you know. Okay. Because product, uh, strategic planning could be about, you know, we're going to go into this territory or about this geography or about this market, but should also include also what kind of products you're yes. going to need. Of course. Right? To win. And if that will, will give you a first sense of priority, right, as to what your product line has to be. But this, again, this is just a starting point. <clears throat> if you have a product lifecycle management uh, which is robust, you will have mapped the life cycle of each of your products. This is an exercise that most companies should do at least once a year, Just go back to their life cycle and where they are. Again, not because it was launched five or three or six years ago. It's really about are we still climbing in sales? You know, is it's it flat? Is it declining? Exactly. I think you know, to, for the purposes of our audience, to be able to say, you know, if you're in order to do that effectively, the ability to kind of go back and maybe three, five years and do a trend analysis, right? Or you're looking at your sales yeah. trends, you're looking at your margin trends, and saying. You know, and then and mapping, you know, your portfolio on on this quadrant that says that at some point you're going to say you're going to have product products or product categories where you're seeing sales decline over time, and margin declining over time, and by going through that exercise uh, before you're you know thinking about new products or new in, new ways to innovate, 
you're looking at what you need to stop doing, and then you do the math. How many? You know, what, how, what are what's the cost of our uh, human resources that are focused on that that part of the portfolio? Um, you know, what are the financial resources? And then you add all that up, and that becomes savings, if you will, that then can say, hey, here's an opportunity then to redeploy those human resources, those financial resources from current uh, products that are not providing the return exactly. over here. And so I think that's a, a if, you know, we talked about key takeaways, um, that could be a good key takeaway for our audiences to do just that, is go through that, you know, that life cycle analysis process, the product mapping exercise, you know, pull your numbers together and find out what savings, are you potential savings you may have, and that I think would be helpful to uh, you know SMBs out there who who do have an opportunity to innovate but can't fund it quite correct, yet. Correct, correct. Uh, doing it the other way around is finding a new idea and now who am I going to kill as yeah. a product? It's, yeah. it's definitely the wrong idea. Right. Sometimes looking at the existing portfolio and the products that are not doing well will just give you the next idea because, oh, okay, if I build the next generation of this existing product, which was good, but now it's falling behind because right. of lack of features or whatever, that's already a starting point, right? Or, or you decide maybe eventually to discontinue for something better. Well, exactly. But, I but mean, you may find that you've got, if you've, done, you're, if you've gone through this portfolio analysis process, you may find that you've got products that you may, that are worthy of turning around, you know, and, and, or enhancing in order to have a greater impact. So you're right. So the, so there are going to be ideas for um, up-leveling existing products and services or killing them all together, right? Yeah. And then doing that, that, doing the math and then making a determination of what, how you can then fund the new, uh, the new, the new products and development. But obviously, you want to keep the, the old one, the, the new one, you want to f uh, fund the development of the new product you can keep the old one, increase the price. This is the famous cash, yeah, cash right. cowing. Change your pricing strategy. Because it's what? Many customers may have contracts with you that say you need to keep this product alive for the next five years. So you may not even be able to kill it. Right. They say, okay, I'm not going to kill it, but it's going to increase by 20% or something next year yeah. in price. So and another way to fund the new development. Another way to fund development, but then, then there, and then on the flip side of that is you may find that you've got, that there are products that are, you know, they're, they're they're not really the right for your business model, but you may continue to offer them anyway because they're legacy products, right? Yes. You've got customers, long-standing customers. So, but you're going to make that decision, you know, proactively and leveraging, you know, data, right, yeah, and an and analysis to, to so you're making the, the right data. decision for uh, the right reason. And data. so, but to your point, you know, there are there are going to be those that are you're going to continue to maintain those products yeah, regardless of the financial return. Um, another way to do it is, and this really depends how you negotiate that with your good customers, is you co-share the cost of new development with some customers. Sometimes they may be willing to contribute to the development. Okay. And they may ask for exclusivity okay. for a couple of years, but after that you're free to sell it to, to the broader I like, I like that. Uh, customer base. And uh, typically this is easier for a smaller company than it is for big companies mm -hmm. that have a bunch of lawyers and, and you know a lot of uh, contracts, problems, etc. about co-sharing costs. But for smaller companies, it's more doable, uh, and they have this dialogue with the customers, the good customers. I think. I, I, I wanted to stay at this issue of uh, having the right products. I, I wanted to ask you one final question. So, uh, about having the right product for the customers, 
So what happened to Nokia, Kodak, or, you know, Polaroid, you know, Blackberry, Motorola, you know, they all lost their edge and failed. They did, they did. And it, in fact, because uh, on one side, there is always like a, before about this ego side of things, sitting on their laurels, believing that they, they were the owners of the market share, but also denial. Denial, in the case of Kodak, the fact that the digital photo, photo were coming and assuming mm -hmm. that you know, film would continue. Nokia believed that because they had like 60% market share at some point, they would continue. What happened with that is that you shut your, your senses to what's going on out there on the market, you, and you forget to listen to the customers, right? Uh, Blackberry, they thought that because they had this, a hard, you know, hardware keyboard, keyboard that, that right. was what business people wanted. And I think to your question, Ram, I think is the fact that, number one, arrogance or ego. Second, you shut down your senses. You lost contact, lose contact with what's going on out there on the market. And that, you know, once you realize it's too late for you to, to recover. Um, but I, that kind of really brings it back to what we, the, the, how we opened our conversation today was was that business intelligence and paying attention to what's going on around you, you and that ecosystem around you customer. and not having the kind of the blinders on to the trends that are occurring and how you can capitalize and, and as a result uh, missed yeah. a lot, yeah. lot of opportunities yeah. and failed, and, lost and, their edge. And what the market did or wanted two years ago is different today it so is, it used to be very different you know especially for industrial products okay we have a life cycle of 10 years and, and we were sure that after 10 years the customers were kind of ready for the next generation but now this is different even the, the industrial customers are looking for you know new ideas all the time why because they have new problems all the time but see they, that's exactly right there are new problems look happening. at you know ESG for example environmental right. oh. you know social and, yes. and governance uh, and I wrote an article recently about the use of artificial intelligence. Why? Because up until a few years ago, ESG was, okay, kind of a fancy word, but now it's kind of mainstream. It is. But people find that it's, a, it's, it's very difficult to do manually, a lot of data in a bunch of different systems. Nobody can contextualize and correlate, so we are looking at artificial intelligence. But two years ago, people who, saw, who said ESG is is no importance. See, and it's, it's and it, it's it, right, and it's on the it's here. It's not even on the horizon. It's here. Correct. So, Hector, I, I wanted to thank you so much for you know for chatting with us today with Ram and I. This is such an interesting topic. We'd love to have you come back uh, for our take two, and Absolutely. maybe we can you know drill down on one of some of these topics uh, more, in more detail. Um, and uh, just a delightful conversation. Absolutely. So thank you yeah. so much for, for I'm being I'm really with passionate us. about this. Oh, I, I uh, know. And uh, Rob, I'm going to turn it back to you. Wonderful. Let's uh, summarize to make sure you know we understood all that Hector said today. So th I think number one, we discussed the three pillars of successful innovation process and how to measure innovation effectiveness, leveraging new technologies like IoT, AT, etc., to create more innovative products. New products can still fail, so plan, test, measure throughout the development and the launch process. Executive management is critical to driving a culture of innovation, leading to the creation of breakthrough products. Be mindful of how the fear of change can affect innovation. Ask the question, do the research of what the customer wants when designing a new product or service. Identify where the responsibility for innovation lies within your company 
not all innovation priorities are created equal, so you can't possibly satisfy them all. Prioritize by quantifying market need, import opportunity, demand, and focus on those innovation strategies that can drive increased business performance. Successful new product launches don't occur by happenstance. You need an effective new product launch plan. Your sales team is critical to success selling innovative products. Include them early in the development process and leverage them as you test market prior to launch. Be mindful of how you communicate with the engineering team to clearly state the customer's desired outcomes that will drive the creation of new products. And finally, reflect back on what happened to Nokia, Kodak, Polaroid, Motorola, Blackberry, and the others that they lost their edge and failed. Even for small and medium-sized businesses, there are lessons to be learned from the big guys who failed. Take those learnings and determine for yourself which are the most relevant to your business. So again, uh, Hector, and thank you so much for the uh, for conversation today. And muchas gracias, Hector. Uh, yeah, for you, you folks, Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you learned something new about effective innovation strategies for SMBs. Please share your comments with us and let us know what your key takeaways were from this show today. And let us know where you're watching us from. So Hector, before we sign off today, how can people find you if they would like to connect? Yeah, thank you for asking. There are a few things, a few ways to, uh, to contact me. One is the most obvious is uh, through LinkedIn. Look for Hector Barresi. Um, also, I have my company profile on LinkedIn, which is Sextant International, so you can both uh, be found on LinkedIn. You can go to my website, which is www.sextant-international.com, and from there you, uh, you can either find my email address, phone number, but also which is through Calendly, you can schedule uh, an exploratory call so that we can chat about your needs and how I can help you. Okay, so these are the different ways that uh, the audience can, can get a hold of me. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about you know our upcoming shows. So on August uh, the 25th, our guest will be Sweden's own Katarina Hansens Carlson, sharing her insights on are we truly preparing our children for the future. On September the 8th, our guest will be JD Gershbein, discussing pioneering the next frontier on LinkedIn. And on September the 22nd, our guest will be George Sullivan sharing his insights and recommendations about climate change, sustainability, why you and your business should care, and steps you can take. Folks, it's time for us to say our thank yous and, and very especially to Butterfield Studios. So STAB About Business is recorded at Butterfield Studio in Vernon Hills, Illinois, located at 1000 Butterfield Road, Suite 1007. Again, in Vernon Hills, it is located just 25 minutes north of Chicago's O'Hare Airport with its 7,500 square feet customizable staging and broadcasting space. The studio, with its full service production and broadcasting team, is sure to service your next conference, game show, product launch, and brand activation. You name it. Ask Deb about business, the hosts, and future television. Thank Waterfield Studio for making this show awesome. Uh, we love you guys. Again, uh, thank you uh, so much for uh, watching the show with us today. And we hope to see you again in one other edition of STEP About Business. I will leave you with our institutional message. Thank you. Oh,